Hey, it's your host, Abigail Pumphrey, and I'm on a personal mission to help more small business owners become financially free. I like to nerd out on all things business, marketing, and most definitely the numbers. I'm talking all the lessons learned as I turned a layoff into a seven-figure online business. I like to share it all and no conversation is off the table. We talk actionable strategies, biz challenges, and all the things life throws your way. Grief, anxiety, loss, and resilience are all topics you'll find here. So grab a cup of coffee and settle in because you're listening to the Strategy Hour podcast brought to you by Boss Project. Have you ever absolutely panicked after you accidentally deleted a file on your computer? I know I have. It's not an issue if you've got Crash Plan Smart Recovery. Your files are just a few clicks away and can be restored in a snap. Crash Plan provides the best cloud backup solutions in the market. Visit CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. Now you can protect all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution. CrashPlan makes it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can be your ultimate rewind button. Get unlimited computer backup for you or your business with CrashPlan Professional. CrashPlan backs up files that live on your computer and works with PC, Mac, and Linux. Don't let data disasters slow you down. CrashPlan has your back and keeps you moving. Go to CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash BossProject for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Today we have on Megan Allman. She is a designer, a metalsmith, educator, and entrepreneur who has built a business based on her passion for art, commerce, and visual content creation, aka she rocks Pinterest and Instagram. And we are super, super excited to have her on. I think a lot of you handmakers are going to learn some awesome tactics today. Yeah. Inside this episode, we are jumping through how to use Instagram, how to use Pinterest, how do you leverage those programs to see direct return on investment and grow your email list. We're even giving you tips on what to do with New York now and a holiday marketing strategy. So hold on to your panties. Hello, everybody. I'm super, super excited to bring you this episode. Today, we have Megan Allman. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thanks for having me. So excited to be here. So if you are a handmaker, a metalsmither, a fine artist, a jewelry maker, any of those fun things that you get to make with your hands and you're like hunkered down in your studio and you have all the supplies and then you're hanging out in TCC and sometimes you're like, I don't really know if that advice that the girls are telling me are really going to work because I make my stuff with my hands. And I feel like I need to hear from someone who's like the total bomb at doing that. So if you've ever thought that, A, I can read your mind. B, you're welcome because that's what today's episode is all about. You know your stuff about physical products and you really, really are an amazing arena to help small business owners, creatives that are hand makers. So tell me a little bit about how you know your stuff about marketing and selling and growing a handmade business. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I think like a lot of makers, I was not really taught anything about uh, business. So I actually have a degree in metalsmithing. It literally says that on my diploma. And because I didn't know what to do with a BFA in metalsmithing, I thought, why not just go get an MFA too? Because, you know... Why, why not have more degrees that you can't That's the obvious, obviously. <laughs> um, and so... 
you know, I got my MFA. And again, you know, I loved kind of being in art school, but you don't really learn a lot about business. And so while I was in art school, luckily, at least my program was kind of supportive. And so we had this jewelry student co-op and we would do these jewelry sales and I would try to kind of sell things. So I kind of got a little bit of a start in that. And then I got out into the world and was like, okay, well, I need to make money. I got to figure, (laughs) I have to figure something out. And so I kind of just started trying a little bit of everything. Um, you know, I did craft shows. I started on Etsy. This was actually back in 2007. I opened an Etsy shop. So long, we're talking about 10 years now in business, really kind of crazy and cool. And I kind of just started figuring out, but I was always lucky in that I had this sort of mindset where my dad had owned a business. And so I sort of was like, okay, it's cool. I'll just try it and I'll see whatever. And then, you know, I was kind of in a slump in my business. And I thought about actually going to get my MBA because clearly another degree was obviously the solution. <laughs> and a friend of mine was like, that's crazy. You could teach this stuff. And so um, I started my website. It was called Crafting an MBA at the time. Now it's Designing an MBA. But I started that site kind of just a way to sort of figure out what I knew and didn't know about running you know, a handmade business. And in doing that and starting that blog – it was like, oh, like people really need this information. And so since then, I've been doing that. I've been teaching through that site. I've been teaching through Creative Live, but then I've continued to run my jewelry business. Um, And so it's kind of nice. I have that. I use the jewelry business as sort of a test ground, play with ideas. Then I turn around and teach them. And the jewelry business is still my primary business. I want people to know that. So when they're listening and they're like, oh yeah, but Megan's probably making all our money like teaching courses. I'm not. I make the majority of my money from my jewelry. So I think... Let's be clear about that right from the start. That's incredible. And she obviously (laughs) knows what she's doing, guys. Like She has this business that the metalsmithing has been featured in places like El Decor, Better Homes and Gardens, Cooking Light. So (laughs) You ain't messing around. She's not pretending that she knows how to run this business and like fake you out, right? So talk to us a little bit about you know, the beginning stages versus a decade later, what has sort of changed and morphed over time? And what do you think is working best for you? You know, it's so interesting because, you know, I would say so much has changed. And part of that is because a lot of the world has changed. And part of that is because sort of my needs as a creative business owner have changed. So when I started, like I said, I started doing craft shows and I pretty quickly realized that was not the right thing for me. I have a very traumatic memories of doing uh, Renegade Brooklyn, where we were in McLaren Park pool, uh, which is an empty pool. Like they they emptied it and they used to do events in it and it started to rain and the pool started to fill with water. And I'm standing like holding my metal tent in several inches of water in a lightning storm being like this, there's got to be a better way to make a living, right? Like this is not what I want out of my life. So Yeah. So that was like a big moment. And so um, around that time, I had heard about this thing called the New York International Gift Fair. And I was like, oh, all these people are doing this. Maybe I'll sign up and try it. And so I signed up. I didn't think I would get in right away. I did. They called me in November and they were like, we have a booth for you in January if you want it. And I said, yes. And then I literally hung up the phone. I was like, what the hell did I just do? Like what? But what was great about that is I know so many makers yeah. who are like, oh, and now it's called New York Gift. And they're like, oh, I want it. Or New York Now. And they're like, oh, I want to do New York Now. But it's like, it's so big. It's so overwhelming. I didn't know 
that like I was in over my head. Right. I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And so because of that, like I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I just dove in. And so I did this, my first trade show in 2008 and it really launched my wholesale business. Um, I picked up really great accounts like SF MoMA and, you know, stores that still sell my work to this day, 10 years later, which is incredible. Yeah. And so I really started building this whole entire kind of business around wholesale. And for a lot of years, that was really the main part of my business. But at the same time, I'd always kind of been nurturing the online side. I had started on Etsy. Eventually, I realized that wasn't the right fit for me. My price point's a little high for kind of the casual Etsy shopper. And I wanted my own space. If I was going to do the marketing, I wanted to drive people to my own site. So I built a website on Big Cartel under my own domain. And then eventually I transitioned that to Shopify, which is what I sell on now. And so over the years, I've worked on kind of building my online sales and really growing that part of the business. And I've had the wholesale business, but what I found is that as my creative process has evolved, my stores have not necessarily evolved in their buying choices. They want like the old work and I want to make the new work. So right now I'm kind of playing with that, you know, that kind of strategy of like, what's the balance between the wholesale and the online and that kind of creative work. But, you know, it's it's been really interesting. And I think I like that. Yeah. Sometimes I get frustrated that I don't know where I'm going next, but most of the time I actually kind of like it. <laughs> Well, and I want to point out, and like, I want everyone to really like hear her when she's saying this, like dive in, try some shit, tweak it, measure it, either try it again or cut it. And like really pay attention to the evolution of even your business from 10 years ago, starting on Etsy, moving to big cartel, moving to Shopify. I feel like so many people want the Right. right answers on day one. Like, where should I be? Which platform should I be? Like, just pick one, like just run with it. You can always change it later. You can always change your style later. You can always offer wholesale or not offer wholesale. Like you're not married to everything. And I think that's what people like. They're afraid of commitment. And when you don't have to be committed. Right. Exactly. I like, I'm never committed to anything. My literally my entire motto is like, try it and see. Like we're going to try it and see. And everything is changeable. Nothing is permanent, especially on the internet. Like nothing is permanent on the internet. You know, if you don't like it, if it doesn't work, you delete it or you move on or or whatever. You know, I think the smartest thing that I probably did is that I bought my domain name, I bought meganom.com like way back when I was in grad school. And so whatever changes I've done, I have just been able to kind of move things along. It's like, okay, well now I'm going to park this under that domain and I'm going to park that under that domain. And so, you know, I had that space, but it's evolved a million times. And yeah, that's why I think I'm still in business because I keep changing stuff. Yeah. Agreed. You know, and I know this is going backwards a little bit, but I was just sitting here thinking about you hand making your stuff and then going to a show like New York now where you could end up selling thousands of your product. Are you still hand making everything you make or is, are you, have you started manufacturing or mass producing things or sending things off to India or like, how is that? Because obviously when you scale, there gets a point where you may not be able to do it all on your own. So what's funny about that is that I have literally done almost every iteration of what you just described in sort of figuring out what I'm doing. And so, you know, I think the first thing that I want to say is that what you brought up about, like, you could go to New York and and sell thousands or tens of thousands. That's actually a fear that keeps a lot of makers from doing it. So when I started in that show, I started in a section called Handmade. Um, I ended up moving to a different section called Accent on Design. But in Handmade, 
buyers know that you're not a factory. Like they go in expecting like there's going to be, you know, limited edition or there's going to be limited quantities. And so you don't have to have that fear. Like if you only make a small amount of things, like there's still a place for you in that kind of wholesale world, if that's what you're interested in. But, you know, I've kind of experimented with a little bit of everything. You know, I started, I was making everything myself throughout the course of kind of my business. I've launched a couple of lines that were designed to be manufactured. So I had a, an home decor line that I was trying to manufacture locally here with like a laser cutter and a powder coater. Um, I had this product called the Cozy Cuff, which was this like bracelet, uh, coffee cup cozy hybrid. Um, and that was like partially manufactured. And then some of the finishing work was happening in my studio. For a number of years, I actually had a production assistant who was making a lot of my wholesale jewelry. And then as kind of, again, my business evolved and I evolved, I ended up letting her go, um, which was one of the hardest things that I've ever had to do because she was a friend of mine and there was nothing wrong with her performance. It just, she was it was not the right fit for my business anymore. I mean, and that was just like the toughest conversation I've ever had to have as a business owner. But what I had realized while I had her, interestingly enough, is that when I stopped doing the production on my jewelry, I actually stopped designing new jewelry. For me, the design process comes when I'm like making things. I'm like, oh, well, now I could try this or now I could try that. I'm not the kind of person who's like, okay, today I'm going to sit down and sketch out, you know, next spring's collection. It's just not how I work. But it took me a long time to understand that. And so, you know, now I am making everything myself. But because of that, you know, I can't be 90% wholesale anymore because the profit margin is is lower. So I've had to, again, shift my business so that, you know, it's like half wholesale, half online, because then I have the balance and the profit margin that lets me kind of do the work. And so I think part of it is, again, trying out all of these different things and figuring out which one worked best for me and sort of my creative personality. Yeah, I love that. You don't know what type of business owner or creative or designer that you're going to be until you challenge yourself to try something different and new. And one of those things might have unlocked like the holy grail for you and you you just have to test it to find out. So word on the street is that you know a little bit about Pinterest and Instagram. And I want to touch on this because, uh, so my mom is a jewelry designer. She's a designer at the Onyx Feather. It's her own business. So she hand makes everything. She has some wholesale <laughs> accounts. She sells um, in her shop on online. And I'm like trying to channel every question that she might ask you because I feel like she would love to sit down and take you to coffee. And I have told her over and over and over again, how to master some Instagram strategies. Here's how you could use Pinterest. And I think she's so hesitant because she doesn't see the direct correlation between like someone seeing something, clicking a link, buying it. So then she can see, okay, it's working. So tell me some other ways that those type of platforms can help you grow your business outside of clicking buy and adding it to a cart. Yeah. Well, and first of all, people do click buy. They do add it to the cart. We can come back to that in a minute because I think a lot of people struggle with how to get to that. But I think, you know, first off, Pinterest and Instagram, I think it's important to understand have like kind of different functions in your business. Sure. You know, one of the things that I like about Pinterest is that if you're still struggling with the aesthetic of your brand, if you're not Mm -hmm. sure kind of what your visual voice is, Pinterest is a way to start building that. It's also a really good platform if you're like, I know I need to be on something and I have no idea how people make the amount of content that it feels like you need to personally produce for Instagram, right? It feels like you have to do a lot of work. On Pinterest, 
it's 90% about curating other people's content. There's still an element of creating your own, but so much of what you do is you're like, okay, I like this thing and I like this thing and I'm going to put it together. I always say it's like, okay, here's my jewelry and then here's the outfit you could wear it with and then here's the room that you could stand in while you're wearing that outfit and then maybe here's the vacation you could take while you're wearing that jewelry. So it's about sort of putting your work in this bigger context. And I think that's a lot easier than being like, oh my God, today I have to take another photograph for Instagram and I have no idea what to post. So I think that personally, Pinterest is sort of in a way a little bit easier. That said, I do think that you can have better results with Instagram if you're selling at a higher price point because it builds that personal connection. And so, you know, on Instagram, even if you have a small following, you know, they care about you and they care about what you're doing. Now, that doesn't mean that you should spend like 90% of your time posting about your dog or your kids. You want to be focused on your work. And I do say if you're a maker or an artist, you have it so easy on Instagram because you can mostly post your work, right? You don't actually have to think about what you're doing. It's like, okay, what do I post today? Oh, a picture of my jewelry, right? What do I post tomorrow? Oh, a picture of my jewelry. And it's like maybe one in 10 is like something else, like say my inspiration or something I'm doing. Exactly. We do. We actually do. Like I don't, sometimes my friend's like, I have a PR company. Like what do I post on Instagram? And I'm like, "Um, your coffee cup? (laughs) Exactly. So we have it so easy in that we get to post our work. And it means that you might not grow as quickly, but the people who are following you are going to follow you because they love your work, which makes it much easier to turn them into buyers. So talk to me a bit about the conversion to buyers. Like if you have people that you're curating through your Pinterest and this, you're building the connections over here on Instagram, how are you getting that direct return on investment? So a couple of ways, you know, first of all, on Instagram, one of the mistakes I see people make is that they're always trying to go directly from Instagram to the sale. And I am rarely trying to go from Instagram to the sale. I'm usually trying to go from Instagram to my mailing list to the sale. And so shifting that mindset really helps because then when you're promoting something, you're not thinking like, oh my gosh, I have to say, hey, go buy this. Usually what I do is I use mostly like a pre, what I call a pre-launch strategy or I'll do it with sales too. So like a pre-sale strategy where I'm talking about it on Instagram and I'm giving people an incentive to be on my mailing list. Mailing list members, you know, I just did a big sample sale and everything is limited quantities because it's a sample sale. And my mailing list gets the link to that an hour before anyone else. And so I just spend, you know, the week leading up to that on Instagram going, hey guys, the sample sale is coming. If you want to shop first, you get that hour early. Stuff sells out in that first hour. Like Stuff's going to sell out, so you're going to want to join the list. So it's really about pushing people to the list. And then the majority, I think you know, this time it was probably like 80% of the sales came directly from my mailing list. Now, a lot of those mailing list signups came from Instagram and then also just Facebook where I push my Instagram post. You know, they came from that because that's where I was promoting it. But it's really all about driving traffic to the to the email list, especially as you start working higher price points. You know, I'm selling my average order volume is somewhere between, you know, like 120, 130, even for my sale, it was over $100, which is pretty high for an online business. You know, I'm not an impulse buy at all. And so getting people on that list is really, really key. Now, people will certainly still buy from Instagram, but, you know, as often as I can, it's about getting them on the list first. You know, Pinterest is a little bit different. I always tell people, like, if you want traffic, 
Pinterest is the way to go, but you have to understand that that's going to convert at a lower percentage than like the traffic that I send from Instagram. I get way less traffic from Instagram, but it converts much higher because of that personal connection. And people have to also kind of do the work to click over, right? Instagram, it's like, oh, I have to go find the button and click the thing and whatever. Pinterest, it's like, oh, boom, I'm there. Um, maybe. And then now I'm like off somewhere else, right? But it is a rabbit hole. But at the same time, what makes Pinterest really valuable, uh-huh. especially if you're good about putting your own content on there, is that if you've engaged with a pin, Pinterest says, it's oh, a hey, you probably like this thing. So we're going to keep showing you more pictures of this thing. Like I liked one picture of this woman, like a street style with one wearing like a really fabulous long kind of kimono style coat. And now Pinterest is like showing me pictures of that left and right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yes, yes. Like, yes, of course. Right. So you I mean, if someone engages with your product and you've got a consistent visual brand and you're pinning more of your own work, then chances are, even if they didn't buy the first time, they're probably going to see it again later. They're going to see something similar again. So it's one of those where Pinterest kind of does some of the work of reminding your your audience or your potential buyer, hey, you liked this thing. Hey, remember you liked this thing? Oh yeah, still you liked this thing, right? Like it's still here. And so for me, like that's why I, I actually use both platforms because they work very differently, but they both contribute to my sales. Yeah, it's over here. <laughs> So talk about the getting the person on the email list. I find so many makers are on, like the first thing they think of is I have to offer a discount to get them on my mailing list. Give me some tactics and like literal copy paste this idea, this idea, this idea to grow the email list via social. Yeah. So first of all, I do not offer a discount. Yeah, I do offer a free shipping code, but the irony of that is that I already offer free shipping in my shop if you spend over $125, which most people do. So the free shipping code is almost kind of pointless. So instead, literally the language I use is sign up to my email list to be the first to shop new designs and exclusive sales. And I use that language everywhere. And then again, when I'm doing a specific launch, then I will say like, hey, the sample sale you get to shop an hour early. And that's the language I use. Or like I'm launching these new one-of-a-kind pieces. You get to shop first. And so I'm literally always using that language. And what's interesting is, you know, there's a lot of this whole thing. I want to kind of dispel this myth about, you know, the freebie because everyone talks about like, you need the freebie, you need a thing. And so for a while, I actually did a little test. So on my blog, I do these kind of like outfit roundups where I, you know, style my jewelry with things. So I went and I set up a quiz where it was like, take this quiz, you can get your style personality. And then, you know, you have to enter your email list, you have to join the list to get the results of your quiz. And so I went back through after, you know, having this on my site for maybe like six months or so, Not a single person who took the quiz converted as a customer. Not a single person. The people who converted were the people who were following me on Instagram, following me on Facebook, and hearing this, like, be the first to shop messaging. So I was like, okay, done. Like, freebie. Like, I was like, dispelled the myth right there. So, yeah, it's really – I mean, the thing is you want people on your list. If you're an information marketer – Of course, you want people on your list who want your information. But if you are a maker or an artist, you don't want people who want information. You want people who want your product. And so it's all about giving them kind of the love and the reasons to be like, hey, my first priority 
is you guys. Like you guys always get the love and the first dibs because I value you. So like if you are that into it, join the list. Right. Well, and I want to point out too that for makers, especially a, because Instagram is so easy for you, you have something every single day to post your freebie like that opt-in is the story that you're curating on Instagram. It's every time you show up in their feed with a beautiful picture of your stuff. It's the story, like you do it so well. I'm looking at a few of your, your past Instagram pictures and it's that extra conversation that you're connecting with them. Like that's your freebie. It's this, you get to see this other side of me and I'm chatting with you and I'm not just like, hey, go buy this thing. Hey, go buy this thing. So you're nurturing those people. So it doesn't mean that you don't, that you can't show up. You just have to, but I, I love that you tested that and the results were super clear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was so obvious. Like these people are on, were on my list and they, they didn't care. They didn't care about buying my product. They cared about what their style was. So yeah, I think it's, it was, I mean, it was so eye opening for me when I actually looked at that. Cause I was like, oh yeah, people are signing up for my list. This is great. And then I was like, oh, nobody bought. So yeah, like totally dead weight. <laughs> So talk to me about what happens in between uh, sample sales. How are you communicating with your people on your list? Are you just sending an email when something's, you know, when you do have a sample sale or a launch or are you sharing stories? Like what does that look like? Yeah. So I try to email my list two to three times a month because I think otherwise they forget, right? It's really important. And I do a sample sale once a year. I do a sample sale once a year and I do my birthday sale once a year. And that is, you know, and occasionally I might throw on a few other things in. I've been kind of tweaking with the pricing of a collection. So I've been playing with some things there. But generally, you know, for the most part, because I do a lot of one of a kind work, I work with these one of a kind stones. It's often just, hey, here's a new thing. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just an idea. So like one day I was like, oh, you know, I have this photograph that I took, one of my pendants with a classic white shirt. So I just sent an email that was like, hey, you know, this is like a really classic style. It's going to go with any everything. You should go buy this thing. And I have found too in my email, so you just want to overstuff their email, right? They haven't emailed in like six months. So they're like, I'm going to put everything in. I do the complete opposite. Like I literally, it's like a little bit of text, one picture, a little bit more text and then a big shop now button. And what's funny is I used to put more images in. Like I would do a launch and I'd be like, oh, I have to show all of the things. And my click-throughs were lower, right? Because I showed all the things and then no one cared about going to the site to look at them. I realized, you know, and again, testing, just, I had no idea. I'm just trying things, right? So I was like, okay, well, what happens if I just put one image in? oh, hey, my click-through, so much higher. More people are going to the site. And you know, if more people are going to the site, then there's a greater likelihood that they're going to buy when they get there. Um, and I also use really small dollar amount, but I also use Facebook retargeting ads. So it means if they're going to the site, then they're getting some retargeting ads too. So again, they're continuing to see and engage with the with the product. So um, yeah, it's all about like getting them to click through. And But again, test it out. Look at your numbers. Want to learn exactly step-by-step how to get paid to generate leads in your business? I've kept these details to myself for far too long. I'm ready to spill everything and give you the exact steps that help me generate tens of thousands of qualified leads and millions in low-ticket digital product sales. I won't just show you what I did, but teach you how you can do it too. I'm talking not just how to create low-ticket digital products, but also showing you how to use them strategically to generate leads for your other existing or future offers. I'm sharing it all at bossproject.com slash jumpstart.
including exactly how I made $8,033 and generated 277 leads my very first month selling digital products. Find out more at bossproject.com jumpstart. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. I love that Indeed makes it easy to hire because I'm busy enough already. When we've hired in the past, the process was full of unqualified applicants. With Indeed, we can target the right candidates for the right position. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Just go to Indeed.com slash strategy hour right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash strategy hour. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Money issues are a common stressor in any relationship. Monarch Money is the top-rated personal finance app that can get you and your partner on the same page without any extra cost. Monarch has built-in collaboration features, so together you can see your finances, budget, and get insights on your cash flow. It's the easiest way to manage any household finances. I've tried other finance apps in the past, and they didn't work the way I wanted them to. I don't want to stress over finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to get Get set up, customize, and use. Monarch prioritizes my privacy, and they'll never sell my data to third parties. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com strategy. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash strategy for your extended 30-day free trial. Well, I also want to bring up like the point of consistency. So I'm scrolling through your Instagram and, you know, I can scroll for days and it still looks like your products and services. I've seen your Instagram once. If I were to like follow you and then just never come back directly to your page, if I was scrolling my feed, I would instantly know this is a Megan Almond piece. Yeah. And I think that is so key. I think so many makers are feeling the pressure to like look like a million different people and appeal to a million different people and try a million different photos and all this stuff. But just scrolling through, like it's the same ring. I mean, maybe a different stone, but like holding a coffee cup, holding a um, notebook, yeah, a plant, whatever. And so talk to me about how you kind of were able to develop that rhythm and consistency. Yeah, so 
I mean, I think part of it is first and foremost that some of the photography, I would say like, I don't know, 40 to 50% of the photography I use on my Instagram is literally just the product photography I use on my website. So I think that's one thing that makers are like, oh, I have to shoot completely different photography. No, you don't. Like I have that consistency because, you know, I'll do these photo shoots where it's like, okay, I'll do a ring shoot and I do my own hand modeling for the most part because it's just, I'm here. (laughs) It's easy. Um, But then I have like a model that I work with for some of the necklaces and things like that. And so it's like, we'll do a big batch shoot. Well, boom, I just created a ton of content. Of course, it's all up on my website as product, but why not use that on Instagram? So, you know, part of that is just that. And then I think the other thing for me is like sitting down and thinking about like, okay, what are things that I can do that are interesting to me as a creative in terms of creating that content for Instagram, but don't make me feel uncomfortable. So I am not the kind of person who likes to take selfies or like show my, like, it's just so not me. Like, I think you'll find an occasional selfie because of course they get really good engagement. So every so often I put one in there, like give the people what they want, but I am not the kind of girl who takes selfies every day. Like I can't do it, but I have no problem. Like, okay, what are the weird things that I can hold in my hand and like take a whole bunch of of photographs. And so I am all about the like batch shoot. So I'll, because I only paint my nails when I'm doing a photo shoot. Otherwise, they get messed up in the studio. Let's be real about that. So, you know, I'll be like, okay, like, going to get a bunch of props together. I'm going to grab a bunch of rings. I'm going to do a big photo shoot. And then over time, I just batch those out. So it's kind of one of those, I have this rule that I call like professional photography, conversational copy. It's what I live on, on Instagram. And so I'll sit down and I'll shoot a big batch of stuff with my DSLR. And I will edit it in Photoshop because that's what I know. Like, that's what I learned to do. Like, apps on my phone, I'm like, this is not good enough. So I'll do a lot of photography like that. And then I'll wake up one day and I'll be like, okay, what do I, how do I feel today? And sometimes it's like, man, I feel tired. So, like, let's throw that coffee cup picture in there. Right. So it's just kind of thinking about like, what photography do I already have that then reflects kind of my mood and my attitude for that day so that I can be really genuine in my copy and what I'm saying. It's not like, hey, go buy this thing. It's like, man, I'm really tired. I need all the caffeine today, you know, whatever kind of that story is. And so, but then I've got all this content that I shot at one time, which really helps keep that consistency there. Yeah. I'm like literally shopping while we're doing this interview right now. I'm like, I want those earrings and I want that bracelet. (laughs) I love it. Well, and I think like as makers, they, you might think it's, is it too easy? Is it the easy way out for me to just use my product all over Instagram and all over my website? So I need to just like think of this extravagant plan to get to make them look different, to stylize them different and make them something that they're not. And I batch that shit and then post it like save yourself some time you have it easy with your beautiful artwork and just put it out there kids yeah I think people really want to overcomplicate stuff and it's like nope shoot a big batch of your products I keep everything on Dropbox so it all lives on Dropbox on my computer and when I need it I just go and Dropbox on my phone and boom it's there ready to go I think people want to make it so much harder than it has to be. So talk to me about, cause I know you said, okay, a small budget for Facebook ads for retargeting. So that's not getting new people. So what is your like new audience acquisition strategy? Like, is it just consistent posting on Instagram, expanding that Pinterest pins? What, what does that look like? 
So it's a little bit of everything. So part of it is definitely Pinterest. I feel like more new comes in from Pinterest just because so many more people get to see my product. But then it's also Instagram, definitely making sure I'm using hashtags, that I'm getting in there and kind of interacting with people that way. And then, you know, I work with, I have a friend who is a stylist. And so I send her a lot of product. She wears that. I did a little bit of experimentation with some other Instagram influencers and found like no ROI on that whatsoever. And I think it's just because they weren't the right alignment with my target audience. Whereas my friend that I have that's a stylist, you know, like our audiences just mesh really well. And so like she wears the work and her people love it. And so kind of we have this very mutually beneficial relationship because I make some really big jewelry. And I get a lot of people who are like, I have no idea how to wear that. And I'm like, hey, cool, go talk to my friend over here. She's going to teach you how to wear it. And then they're going to follow her. And then they're going to be like, okay, well, now we want to buy the thing. So like we have this mutually beneficial relationship, whereas, you know, I grow, she grows and that kind of thing. And then actually, even my teaching becomes outreach for my jewelry. So things like I'm doing like right now, like podcast interviews, because, you know, some people are makers and they're going to want, you know, maybe my business advice on creative live, but there are people I'm sure who are listening to this, hopefully, um, who might also want to buy my jewelry. So I do a lot of that too. You know, I think a lot of that kind of marketing thing is sort of like figuring out like what, again, like what your zone of genius is. And so for me, like... I like to talk. And so anytime I can jump on a podcast and talk about whether it's the business side of my work or my creative process, you know, that's marketing for me. And so that's something that I do. And then there's also, you know, there's still new customer acquisition that comes in from the fact that I'm doing wholesale. So someone, you know, might buy something from a store, but the store is only ever going to have a limited amount of my product. So they might buy a piece or two from a store and then they're going to come search for me online and then they're going to find me that way. They're going to join the mailing list. So there's definitely that aspect as well. And then I do Pinterest strategy. I do blog as well. So I don't always blog, but I do blog. I kind of go in spurts, like a lot of content and then I'll take a break and then I'll just keep pushing it out on Pinterest. So I think that's a really long answer to say like, there is no one magic bullet. Oh, That's the point I was getting at. (laughs) Yes. I do a lot of different things to bring in customers. A lot of times too, you know, I mean, they all start to get related. Like you might listen to this podcast and then a year from now, find me on Instagram and be like, Hey, I think that was that girl that I watched, listen to that podcast about, you know, I mean, you can't be like, I'm going to focus on one thing necessarily. It's all the pieces together. Well, and I love how, like, I love that you look at being on podcasts or getting in front of other people's audiences as, you know, new growth and visibility for you. Cause that's exactly what it is. I think a lot of people think, especially when looking at our business, Oh, I need to start a podcast to do that. Oh, I need to sell this, you know, email e-course to have those same results. And I'm like, back it up a little bit. Like you can be on as many podcasts as you could record yourself instead of having to promote your own show. Because then you're stuck at ground zero for all of these ideas and products instead of taking advantage of established audiences that are already existing for you. That's such a good point. People don't do that enough. You know, in in the early days of my business, you know, I did like some guest posting when guest posting was the thing, right? Like I did a guest post or two on Design Sponge that really kind of boosted my list. And like, you don't have to do it all. Like I love being a podcast guest, but I have no interest in having my own podcast because the tech (laughs) stuff is like, mm -mm. like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to edit. I don't want to. And so, right, like leverage other people's audiences. You don't have to do it all from scratch. So with 
the holidays upon us, I want to talk a little bit about that marketing strategy and how it's different from the rest of the year because tis the season, right? Like, I know this is coming out in October, but like, for makers and sellers, like that is like prime, you better be ready because the crazy is coming out. Uh huh. So talk to us about preparing for holiday season, and then what you can do to take advantage of the people just buying more. Yeah. So, you know, first thing is like, you have to think about what the lead time is with your marketing strategies. So I started doing some really aggressive pinning, like all the way back in July, like July and August. I was like, these are the products that I think are going to be like my best holiday gifts. And if I wait until November, no one's ever going to see them. So I've started like pushing stuff out kind of the sooner, the better, especially on a, on a platform like, um, like Pinterest, because it really, there's a lag, there's such a lag with Pinterest that you have to kind of think in advance there. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is really, again, like getting people on your email Let list. Let us keep saying that. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't know how many times I get to that, but like getting people on your email list and then actually emailing your list. That's one thing that is not different. No matter what you sell, right. that is the same across the board. Right. You know, actually getting people on your list. And so I think that's that. And then the third thing is, you know, understanding like your production. Like I've looked back, you know, I started doing this one of a kind pieces and I've looked back and I've been like, why didn't I sell more in December? And then I'm like, oh, because there really wasn't actually that much stuff on, um, on my site. And then understanding like who your buyers are and what their buying habits are. I offer express shipping and I ship until like December 23rd for my already made pieces because I get a lot of men mm-hmm. <laughs> who wait till the last minute and I'm like, well, I'll take your money. Absolutely. I'll take your money like any day there. Yep. Um, so thinking about kind of like setting your deadlines in a way that makes sense yeah. and then also just making sure that you have the product. But then thinking about too, if you're going to run a sale – does it make sense to run it when everyone else is doing it? So my birthday is actually the end of October and I always run a big birthday sale. And so what happens is people kind of pregame their holiday shopping a little bit Mm -hmm. because by the end of October, you're thinking about, you might be thinking, okay, like here's a deal. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy. And what that does is like, it gives me a chance to have a big sale without the noise of like Black Friday weekend. Mm -hmm. Now that said, last year, and I'll probably do it again this year, I did offer some little discount on Black Friday because truthfully, that whole weekend because people are looking for it, right? So if they're naturally on the site, like why not throw up a little, just a little something to incentivize them, whether it's free shipping or like a small discount, something. I changed my stance on that kind of over the last couple of years. So do we. I feel like every year I'm like, I don't want to do anything. And then some years I'm like, give everyone the kitchen sink. Right. (laughs) And and one of the things that I will do, you know, that I did last year and I think I'll do this year too, is, you know, I'll put like the pop-up bar across the top of my site that's like, hey, this is the deal for this weekend. So that if people are landing on the site, they see it. But it's not like yeah. I feel like I have to inundate my audience because that's what I hate is like you go yes. on Instagram on Cyber Monday and everyone's like, hey, buy my stuff. And you're like, oh, I don't, I don't care. Like stop, no. stop doing that. So I think, and no. again, that kind of comes from like a little bit of that lack of planning, right? You have no idea kind of what you're doing and you're like, oh crap, it's Cyber Monday and 20 other people just posted. So I guess I should just post too. I need to come up with right. Like you don't have to. If it's not your jam, like you totally don't have to do anything on Black Friday if you don't want to. So I think kind of again thinking through your sales. And then the other thing that I actually like to do is I often will do like a little post Christmas sale 
for like, oh, you thought you were going to get this and you didn't. So let me help you out. Um, Because I find that, you know, one of the things, especially at my price point, is that people are always waiting, right? They're going to wait because they're like, oh, someone will get this for me for Christmas. And then they didn't and they're disappointed. So why not help them out? So that's kind of the way that I like to do it is I kind of like to think through my sales. And then I like to think through what that looks like for like launching products and my email list. So I'll sit down, like what I'll usually do is, you know, and this is not just for the holidays. This is kind of most of the time. Um, I'll sit down and I'll just in a notebook, I'm not a super heavy planner, but in a notebook, like, okay, these are, I think, kind of the dates, like where I want to send emails. This, if I've got something launching, great. If I don't, like, what can I just send an email about? You know, what product can I highlight? That sort of thing. What, what are people thinking about right now? Like sometimes it's like, oh, hey, it's sweater weather. And here's a picture I have of a model (laughs) wearing a sweater and a necklace, like boom, email done. So just sitting and sketching that stuff out so that you have an idea of, you know, how you want to reach out to your audience going forward. And it just makes it so much more like attainable to fit into your schedule and to actually execute. If you're thinking, okay, I'm only sending around 30 emails a year, like, right. You can do that, batch it, map them out with where they're going to coincide with your sales. I guarantee then half of them are going to be taken care of and written for you and then plug and play the rest and you're done. Exactly. I know that sounds brilliant. (laughs) I'm jealous, honestly. I'm just, I am sitting here thinking, like, do I want to open a product based business? Actually, this is not surprising. This happens often. Right. And I think it's one of those things where, like, once you see how easy it can be, it is kind of, you're kind of jealous. Like, my emails are literally like a picture and a couple of sentences. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'm going to try that. I'm just going to take a selfie with like a course of ours and be like, here, you can go shop it. And I'm going to test it. I would love to see what happened if you did that. Like, again, try it and see. I so want to see what if you did that. That's I will. I'll, I'll send you the email. Yes. I'm so glad we had you on today because I think a lot yes. of it is way simpler than people are making it out to be. They're making it out to be this massive production. And, you know, you have mm-hmm. a fairly simple product lineup, like, everything goes together. Like I can tell the same person would wear everything in your shop. And so they're going to have a hard time picking out what they want because it's, it's just so awesome. But let's talk for one more minute before we jump into talk strategy to me a little bit about how you've been able to increase that average sale per customer. Because I feel like for most product-based businesses, this is like the thing hanging over their head. Like, how am I possibly going to have 20,000 sales over the course of the year? Because my product point is only... $40. Like, but if you doubled or tripled that, and you were able to increase the average sale per customer, you need way less customers. So let's talk about how you got that price point put in place in your business. Yeah. So what's really interesting about that is that the majority of my orders are actually for a single product, which is crazy. But what that means is that my prices are higher to begin with. And that kind of happened a little bit of like, it's like a little bit of accident and a little bit about where my business started. So when I was first coming out of grad school, I was doing a craft show and I had um, this woman came to my studio and she was a former, she's an alumni of the program that I went to. And my professor was like, can you just come look at Megan's pricing? And so she came in and I would like hold up a pair of earrings and I would 
tell her the price and she would make a face and I'd be like, too high. And she'd be like, too low. (laughs) And and of course, like, this is like a woman I was like, so she was like my business idol when I was starting out. And so I was not going to upset her. So I was like, okay, like raise the prices, raise the prices. But then because I started in wholesale so quickly, like I realized, oh my gosh, like if I'm going to make any money at wholesale, I need to be charging more. And so what it did is it like set me on this price path where like people who started on Etsy and Etsy was their first thing, like they probably had that $40 average product. Whereas mine kind of always hovered in that, like I would say like the 80 to 150 is like my product price point sweet spot. Like that's where I sell, even at craft shows, like I'm way higher than most people. And it's not because my work costs more to make it. You know, I work mostly in steel. It's it's not that expensive. It's because I know that the people who are going to wear my work are going to wear it and love it for a long time. And so I feel very comfortable charging those prices. And of course, there's labor. Like, let, I'm, not, I'm not trying to rip people off. Like, it, there's work that goes into my products. But so I think the first thing is like looking at your price point. If you're selling – now, there's certain products – types that are definitely have a lower price point. Like obviously if you're selling greeting cards, that's a lot of greeting cards. But you know, I have spent a lot of years walking the national stationery show and the people right. who do the best are people who don't just offer cards, right? They have prints, they have calendars, they have all these other things that bring their price point up. And so, you know, my question is always like, what can you design in a different yeah. price point? Now, sometimes that means either direction, right? So I you know, I started doing a couple craft shows a year and I added in these stacking rings that sell for like between, you know, 15 and $25 because I wanted that impulse buy, right? So I was like, okay, what can I design at that price point? But then sometimes I'm like, what can I design at $300? Or what can I design at $500? You know, I sell necklaces in the four to $500 range yeah. online. Like it is totally doable and possible. But at the same time, I also know that that sweet spot for my audience is somewhere around that 120. So then I looked at like with my Contra collection, my one of a kind stones, I thought, okay, I was trying to sell everything in like the 200 to $500 range. Can I design something that sits in that like 120 ish sweet spot for my audience? What can I change? What can I do? And I was, I was able to make, you know, tweak some design decisions and design into that price point. And those pieces started selling really well. So it's kind of one of those where anytime you can work the price up, great. But sometimes you may have to work the price down a little bit. And sometimes you may have to go out and find a new audience, right? Like if you've been selling at 40 and you jump your price to 120, your old people are not going to be your people anymore. (laughs) So then you have to go back and you have to do that audience acquisition work to get you the people that you need. I love that thought process of fitting the holes, like filling those holes with different price points of products. So you're not worried about like attracting all of these different kinds of people, like the $15 spender and the $500 spender. You're just like... What else can I add on into that to round out this number for the same person? I love that. I love that. All right. Well, let's head into talk strategy to me, shall we? Okay. So the person listening is like, okay, cool, cool, cool. All this sounds great. Super overwhelmed. I feel like I need to be in all the places. I feel like I need to mind map the shit out of my business. What are three to five things I can kind of wrap my head around and do this month in order to get clarity for the rest of the year and head into next year real strong. 
Yeah. So the number one thing is if you do not have it or you are struggling or you have yet to set it up, set up your email list. That is priority number one. You don't need a freebie. You don't need a PDF. You don't even need a discount code. You need a place where they can go that says sign up to be the first to know about new products, exclusive sales, however you want to do that language. Set that up first. Make sure that they can easily get there from all your social media platforms, right? Anywhere they can get to. Thing number two is then you actually have to email that list, right? So I don't care if your list has two people on it and those two people are like your mom and your best friend. Send the email every week if you can. Every other week is a good place to start if you haven't been doing it. And again, don't overcomplicate it. If you have any kind of physical product, a picture, a sentence or two, and a call to action that sends people to where they can buy your product over and over and over again. That's all you're doing, right? Like I just use the same template. I put it in there. Just start doing those two things yep. is going to put you in a big step. And then from there, think about how you're going to get new people in there. So what is kind of your marketing zone of genius, right? If Instagram overwhelms you, try Pinterest. If Pinterest overwhelms you, try Instagram. If you like to talk, go on podcasts, right? I know we make physical, visual products, but podcasts are fantastic for talking about your creative process and opening up your audience. So figure out what's going to work best for you. And at the very least, go on Instagram and just post a product pic today, right? Just start sharing. I think that's the, the biggest thing if you're feeling overwhelmed it's like your goal is just to share your work with the world. Yep. Because if you're sharing your work with the world, you're going to start attracting the right people. So post it on Instagram, post it on Pinterest over and over and over again. And the last thing I'll say to this is that you have to kind of carve out time to do this. So I use a strategy that I call marketing mornings. So literally I get up and for the first hour or so of my day, I open my computer, I have my tea, I eat my breakfast, and my job is to do marketing that goes out into the world. Not just to edit photos or something like that, but to actually do things. So once, usually once a week, that's email my list. But then the rest of the time, it might be writing a blog post. Sometimes it's just scheduling pins on Pinterest. Um, you know, Sometimes it's an Instagram post, though I generally don't do those in my marketing mornings because usually you get better traction with Instagram a little later in the day. But schedule that time. And then once I know that I've put my workout into the world for the day, I can close the laptop and I can go into the studio and I make my work. And so that's how I get that done. And I feel confident when I go to my studio because I'm like, hey, I did my job for the day. And I'm going to let the magic of the internet like percolate that all through nice. every single morning. I love that so much. Thank you. That was super helpful. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on the show. And definitely let us know where can people hang out with you online? Yeah, so you can find me pretty much everywhere at, at Megan Almond. So Instagram and Pinterest are my two favorites. Follow me at Megan Almond there. Uh, I love to chat. I love to hang out. And then my website for my jewelry is just MeganAlmond.com. Um, but you can also find me at designingandmba.com where I have lots and lots of blog posts about what it's like to run a maker product creative business. Um, and then I also have classes on Creative Live, literally tons of classes on Creative Live. Uh, so if you're like, hey, I want to know, like, how do I exhibit at New York now? There's a class for that. It's called Sell Your Products to Retailers. There's a Pinterest class, literally everything, pretty much all everything we talked about in like hours and hours of, of classes on Creative Live.
Well, thank you so much. That was super helpful. I hope all the handmakers listening took diligent notes and go check Megan out because clearly she provides the knowledge everywhere. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Looking to elevate your brand without the headache? Join the co-op, our creative template shop membership. With thousands of easy to customize templates, all crafted to seamlessly fit your business aesthetics. We make nurturing leads and driving sales effortless. We're talking serious impact and seriously simple creation. Become a member now at creativeshopcoop.com and transform your business today. That's creativeshopcoop.com. Hey, a few quick favors before you leave. I'd love if you'd share today's episode, send it to a friend who needs to hear it and post on social. You can show us where you're listening from, your favorite takeaway, or why someone else should listen. Be sure to tag me at Abigail Says and at Boss Project so we can share it. Okay, second favor. To get podcast updates and all the behind-the-scenes news from Boss Project, I'd love if you'd join my VIP list. Just head to bossproject.com slash sign up to make sure I have all your contact details. Really love this show? It would mean so much to me if you'd leave a rating and review. It not only helps more listeners find the show but allows us to bring on quality sponsors so we can keep bringing you this valuable content for free. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.